Good morning. Such a privilege for me to be with you this morning and to share God's Word. I read from the inspired Word of God. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, beginning in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to hear him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, there was a voice which immediately, after the heavens were opened, said, as the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. Thank you so much uh, for being here, Reverend Holes. Thank you so much for reading God's word for us. Thank you for planting this church and being faithful. Um, we are all blessed because of your ministry. We all stand on, on your shoulders and the shoulders of those who ministered alongside with you. So thank you, your manifestation of God's grace to us. We appreciate you. Again, Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, our first passage for our new series um, called Following Jesus on His Terms. Whenever I start a new series, I always get a little bit stressed out and excited at the same time and catch myself hyperventilating when I think no one is around. Um, I just get excited about the new material, and I also get a little nervous about just wanting to handle the text properly and for it to become um, 
tangible for us to see the truths of the, the gospel that, that impact our, our lives, our, our, our hearts, and, and the world. Now, when it comes to the gospels, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us a clear picture of Jesus, a picture of who he is and, and what he's all about. I mean, that's why they're in the Bible. A lot of people want to be spiritual, and maybe they're intrigued by Jesus, and maybe they even want their lives to be transformed by Jesus. But I need to give you a heads up, because everybody can fall into a trap. It's real easy to fall into the trap of following Jesus on our own terms. And that's a denial of Jesus. That's a denial of who he is and what he's about. That, that's a Jesus of our imagination. And that can't change you or give you the closeness with Jesus that you really want and that he wants to give you. I heard someone say that, that you can know you have a Jesus of your imagination if Jesus never disagrees with you, if he likes all the people you like, and hates all the people you hate. That is not following Jesus on his terms. I think to a degree, we all, to different degrees, we all do that, either consciously or subconsciously. See, you need a king, and I need a king, who, who loves you enough to redirect your life, loves you enough to correct you, because he really knows what is best for you, and he wants to, he does that in order to give you uh, rest in green pastures, to restore your soul, to lead you in the paths of righteousness, to walk with you through the dark valleys, to protect you, delight in you, and bless you with goodness, mercy, and friendship forever. That's following Jesus on his terms. And Mark here shows us that. Now, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel. There's not as much teaching as the other Gospels, but it's, uh, a lot, uh, there's a lot more action. And so much of this Gospel is in the present tense, because Jesus is not just a, a, an historical figure from the past and detached, right? He is with you now. He engages you now. He loves you now. He lovingly rules over you now. He saves you. He changes you. And he calls you to follow him now. Jesus is powerful, and he's personal. And my hope is that through this series, we see that, and that we have a closer relationship with Jesus, and that we trust him more, and that we, that we, that we love him more, and that we are more loyal to him. Now, who is this guy Mark? Well, Mark is also known as John Mark. And Mark was a friend, an assistant, and a translator for the disciple Peter. And, and the gospel of Mark is actually Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus that was written and composed by Mark. See, Peter is mentioned more than anyone else. There's almost never a time in the gospel of Mark where Peter is not there. Uh, there's even a section in the gospel of Mark describing how Peter denies Jesus with emphatic cursing. Now, this is not Mark throwing Peter under the bus. Peter, through Mark, 
Peter is being honest about how he had to learn how to follow Jesus on Jesus' terms. Peter is being honest about his sin and failure and transparent about it. This is not, he's showing us that this is not a Jesus of our imagination. This is Peter's eyewitness account of the real Jesus redirecting Peter's life. And the real Jesus will redirect your life for your good and God's glory. Now, if you're taking notes, we'll see three points. First, what we see in this passage is something epic is happening. Something epic is happening. We see that just by looking at the first sentence. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This right here is the whole point of the gospel of Mark. And the word gospel is highlighted, and it means good news. It is the good news of Jesus. Jesus who changes all of history through his life, his death, his resurrection, his renewal and reign over all of creation. Now, the word gospel was already a common term that the Romans used to announce an emperor who rose to power. And that proclamation would effectively impact the lives of people all throughout the Roman Empire. There were very real-life implications as a result of this proclamation of a new emperor who rose to power. In fact, uh, a common inscription has been discovered that reads, The Gospel According to Julius Caesar. So what we see here in this first sentence in the Gospel of Mark, right off the top, Mark kicks things off by being subversive. This is the Gospel according to Jesus Christ, according to the Messiah, the true King. And this is a proclamation that effectively impacts the lives of of all people throughout all the world and all history, but for good and not greed. And we see something epic must be happening because there's a a herald uh, announcing the arrival of of somebody important. Maybe a herald today, it might be kind of like when a stadium announcer uh, uh, declares the names of the players or, or a hype man that, that welcomes the headliner or a bailiff that's introducing the judge or the sergeant at arms presenting the president at the State of the Union address. But that is so, that is all so severely unimpressive compared to someone who is so important Even his herald was predicted in the Old Testament prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi. And he is proclaiming that someone so significant is here that he's going to change history. He's going to change the world for the good of countless people. That is far better infinitely better, immeasurably better than any emperor, any king, or any president. He cries out, the herald cries out, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And this herald is John the Baptist. And he's preaching about forgiveness because everyone needs to hear that this is what the true king is about. And we see something as epic is happening because of these two scenes that, that Mark inclu- includes here. The scene of Jesus' baptism and the scene of Jesus' temptation. John only takes, he only takes 14 verses to get into the public ministry of Jesus when Matthew and Luke spent over three chapters before they started talking about Jesus' ministry. Mark, or more likely Peter, is excited and wants to get to the action. He mentions only two scenes before Jesus' ministry, uh, ministry goes public, and it's these two, the baptism and the temptation. Why did he include those? Well, they are meant to make us think back to Genesis. The first scene, Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptized, in verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit descended on him like a dove. That phrase, like a dove, is found only one time in the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And that's Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the story of creation, when it says, the Spirit of God hovered or fluttered over the surface of the waters. It is the same language that is used to describe the Spirit like a dove at Jesus' baptism. It deliberately, it deliberately draws us into the theme of creation. Second scene, Jesus' temptation. Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Again, back in Genesis, creation is completed with the creation of humankind, and immediately Adam is tempted in the garden, falls into rebellion, and rejects paradise for the wilderness. The theme of creation is being drawn on here because Mark is letting us know that this is something epic. The arrival of Jesus who renews all of creation, all of humankind. Not a replacement of the old, but a rescue and a renewal of all. Jesus begins his ministry to make what went wrong with creation right. He lives a life of perfect holiness and obedience. He feeds the hungry, heals the sick, raises the dead to show us what renewing the creation looks like. Isaiah prophesied that. Jesus began, uh, the first scripture he reads after his ministry started was that passage from Isaiah. Reformed theologian Jürgen Moltmann, he says, "When this, I love this. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he's driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt 
and sick. The lordship of God, the lordship of God, to which the healings witness, restores creation to health. Jesus' healings, he says, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only true natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Jesus comes into his creation that is being destroyed by sin and death and hatred and evil, and it is unnatural. It is not the way things are supposed to be. Humankind was created to flourish and find joy and rest in, in God's creation and in a right relationship with God. And there's still a lot of work to do. Still a lot of work to do. Our world is filled with cynicism, mocking, selfishness, oppression, racism, murder, self-righteousness, insults, condemnation, power grabs, injustice, people of one political party condemning the people of the other political party in the name of their respective so-called righteousness. And it just never seems to end. This is not the way things were supposed to be. We know, because as Moltmann said, this is a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. And God said, this is why we need the power of the gospel. This is why we need the good news. Jesus has come to bring a new creation. The kingdom of God is at hand. Justice will ultimately defeat injustice. Good will ultimately triumph over evil. And that's a promise. That's what Jesus came to do. So that's first. That is epic. And that's what Mark wants us to see. So if something epic is happening, if that's the case, how should we respond? Well, something epic is happening, and we're commanded to put your faith in the king and follow him. And how do we do that? We do that through repentance and faith. As King Jesus begins his public ministry, look what he says in, in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That very first quote that Mark uses of Jesus, it, it, it says, repent and believe in the gospel. That is what the Christian faith is all about. Love is important. Worship is important. But it begins with repentance. Now, we got to look at that word repent. We're going to look at the word repent, and then we're going to look at the word believe. Look at this word repent. When Martin Luther famously posted his 95 Theses, his first point was that all of life is repentance. Now, 
maybe because of your impression of that word repentance, uh, you might be discouraged. All of life is repentance. Like all my life, God's going to say there's something always wrong with me, and he's going to rub my nose in it to get me to change. That is not repentance. That is man-made religion, not biblical repentance. See, God intends for repentance to lead you to be blessed and to grow and become more like, like the, in the likeness of, of Jesus, Jesus' beauty and joy. Repentance, a lot of people get the impression, because a lot of people teach, either consciously or subconsciously, uh, repentance is not trying to earn God uh, or keep God's approval. You can't earn or keep God's approval by pain for your sin, by works, or guilt. Now, the word repentance means turn. But not simply, and a lot of people say that repentance just simply means turning from bad works to good works. But biblical repentance means turning from all works to Jesus' work, to trust him. And when you do, that is what changes you. Repentance leads us to, to Jesus, who delivers us from shame, and then to us expressing our unconditional love and our unconditional loyalty and our unconditional obedience. It changes you. That's how you know your repentance is real. And it always ends with joy. It's because you are loved. It's because you are accepted. It's because you are forgiven through the righteousness and the work of Jesus Christ who went to the cross out of love for you. See, proper sorrow over our sin is rooted in love because we dishonored the one who loves us unconditionally and is always there for us, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who sacrificed so much to, for us to have a relationship with him. And when you turn to Jesus to see that, that he still loves you as always, repentance is always sweet. Now, it's not surprising that every now and then I will say something thoughtless without thinking about it. And every now and then, those thoughtless things that I don't think about before I say them legitimately hurts my wife's feelings if I happen to say them to her. And then my resulting sorrow and regret for saying something thoughtless without thinking about it it's over hurting someone that I love. And then, after that, when, when she shows me the love and acceptance of Christ, even though I just hurt her feelings, and she shows me the love and acceptance of Christ, it just makes me love her all the more. And, and then the, those hugs afterwards are the best. You feel close and connected and reassured. I mean, especially in times like those. Now, I know that I will be thoughtless and dumb again. I'm sure she knows too. But I don't want to be. My deepest desire is for her to know 
that I love her, right? Now, I want you to know that the love of God, your Father, will always be there for you because of what Jesus has done for you. And if you know that to be true, it creates a profound dynamic of grace in your relationship with God. And you become so filled and so content that that you're now more free and willing to confess and repent and say, God, I messed up. I sinned against you. Help me. And then you will accept experience grace, and it deepens your walk and changes you. That's how this works. Now, what ways are your life changed? I'll just rattle off a couple of things. When you want to hold a grudge, you remember God didn't do that to you, so you don't. You want to lash out at someone disrespecting you, but that you remember God didn't do that to you, so you don't. You don't want to forgive someone, but you remember God forgave you, and so you do. When you lust, you see something good and want to take it, but what you really want is the ultimate unconditional love and beautiful acceptance of God. See, we're inclined to destruction that robs us of life. God wants to give you life that flourishes more than you can possibly imagine. It's repentance. Now, let's look at that word, believe. I enjoy talking to people about what they believe and asking questions about it. Now, the conversation gets interesting when when we start talking about what Jesus wants us to believe about him. And we all know that's important because we don't want people to believe things about us that aren't true. We want them to know and accept who we really are. It's got to be based on truth, right? Also, believing that Jesus was just a good teacher or just simply existed isn't enough. The devil believes in Jesus. So, again, the very first verse in Mark talks about believing that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Later in Mark chapter 8, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And even later in Mark 15, when Jesus dies on the cross, There's an earthquake and darkness, and and the veil of the temple is torn open, giving us access to God. And when the centurion, it says in Mark 8, 39, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. We are called to believe in the good news about the king who did not start a political revolution or raise up an army, although he could have. But he dies for our sin. The one who is to save us and the world and renew all things unexpectedly to everyone who was anticipating the Messiah, dies for a sin to heal and restore the world and our relationship with God the Father who delights in us. 
repent and believe in the crucified Messiah who rose again to renew all things. That's how we respond. Last question. What difference does it make? What difference does this make in my life here and now? I'll mention two things. First, whether you're a Christian or not, we all want true acceptance and unconditional love. For someone to say, we want to hear somebody say, I delight in you. And here's, here's the thing. Because of that desire for acceptance and love, that's why some of you put so much work effort into your work or so much effort into your studies or so much effort into being liked or respected or loved, uh, so much effort um, into having the perfect relationship or perfect children. Those are good things, but they can't possibly give you the acceptance and love that you're looking for. God designed you in a way to know that longing can only be met with an eternal reality of acceptance and love that God alone can provide. So when Jesus is baptized, the heavens tear open, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ through repentance and belief in Jesus, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, you become adopted into God's family as God's beloved son, as God's beloved daughter. And God says, because of Jesus and because you're baptized in Jesus, I am well pleased with you. And that reality is what every human being wants, whether they realize it or not. If you struggle with loneliness, the gospel is where God comes to you and says, I love you, and I will always be here for you. If you've been out of a job for a long time and don't know what your life is all about, the gospel is where God comes to you and says, you are not what you do. Your identity is, is only found in, in my giving you your identity as my son or my daughter in whom I am well pleased. If you feel ashamed and ugly by, because of the things that you've done, the gospel is where God comes to you and says, you are beautiful to me. I will give you new life and transform you and give you joy. If your family got broken up, the gospel is where God comes to you and says, I will be your family. You belong, and I will never forsake you. If you've been deeply wounded by racism, the gospel is where God comes to you and says, you are important, you are accepted, you are welcomed, you are loved. I delight in you and the color of your skin. I made you that way. You are precious to me, and I will ultimately bring justice on your behalf. That speaks life into you. You know, I think you can see behind me um, the, the stained glass. And it, it looks like a bunch of 
haphazard broken pieces of glass, but the artist deliberately shaped each piece of glass and deliberately arranged them in a way that makes something beautiful. And that's what God does. He redeems the broken. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that you are God's masterpiece. And in Jesus Christ, you are beautiful and precious to God. This is who you are. And I believe, um, like, like this stained glass behind me, um, that Reverend uh, Hull's commission to get done, by the way, I believe God wants us to kind of be like this stained glass where we come together um, in unity according to God's design, centered on the cross of Jesus to collectively communicate this truth and love of Jesus and his gospel to our surrounding community together as a church family. Together we welcome and love the lonely. We welcome and love the rejected. We welcome and love uh, the outcasts. We welcome and love those who are from a broken family. We welcome and love those who are wounded by racism. We welcome and love those who support and stand with those who have lost their job. They, they all must know the love and truth of God through us as a church the family of God together, empowered by the Spirit to bring healing and renewal. To bring the unconditional love and acceptance of God to those who need it, just like we do. The second difference the gospel makes is endurance and suffering. One of the themes in this passage is the wilderness. John the Baptist is preaching and baptizing the wilderness. After baptizing Jesus, it says the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. The world wilderness should make us think of a desert a place of temptation and testing, a place of fear and coming to the end of our resources, death. And some of you are in a desert of one kind or another right now. Your marriage has fallen apart. You ran out of money, lost your business. Your children walked away from the love and grace of God. You struggle with, you struggle with anxiety and you don't think that you're, you're going you're gonna to make it, that you can do it anymore. Cancer has totally upended your life. You're being abused and feel so ashamed to let anyone know about it. You're stuck in an addiction and you know that it's harming you and the people around you. Or something similar. If that's you, I want you to check out verse 13. I never saw this or heard this, of this before. It says, and he was with the wild animals. <laughs> why, is, why is that in there? You know, Mark's the only one who says Jesus was, was with the wild animals. So commentators, scholars say, that's in there because Mark's writing to the people in Rome where the Christians were being persecuted under Nero, thrown into the Colosseum with wild animals, or driven into the desert with all the wild animals. 
And what Mark is signaling to you is that Jesus is with you through it all. He is with you in your cancer, in your broken marriage. Jesus is with you. He himself self suffered greatly on a Roman cross. When he took all of our sin and all of our judgment so that ultimately we can be safe. And even death, even death only leads to a greater life and a fuller experience of being with Jesus in glory. Jesus' presence and Jesus' sacrifice communicates that he loves you and he is with you and he will redeem all of the messed up things in your life and turn it into something glorious and beautiful that we can't possibly imagine right now. You can endure in your suffering. Now, in closing, I just want to say this. As we go through the rest of the series, the rest of the Gospel of Mark, it is my prayer that all of us, individually and collectively, I pray that we know not, not the Jesus of our imagination, but the real Jesus who confronts us to bring new life and flourishing in a profound and personal way. We must follow Jesus on his terms and follow the Jesus of the scriptures who is Christ, the Son of God. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?